This is ED ECMO podcast number eight, prime time. This is Zach Shiner. I'm here with Joe Belezzo, and we are here to talk to you about the pump, everything to do with priming it to troubleshooting it. Joe, how's it going? Good, man. We just went to North Carolina and met up with Jim Manning and Greg Griffin. Yeah, so Jim Manning is a uh, is an ER doctor out at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and he's got a pretty big interest in something called a SAP catheter, which is a selective aortic perfusion catheter. And this thing is very similar to another hot topic we've been hearing about lately. Reboa, resuscitative endovascular balloon occlusion of the aorta. I'm sure you guys have heard this on other podcasts, talking about how we can save people with bad pelvic trauma, maybe even aortic aneurysms by putting a catheter up their groin. And so Jim's been working with a catheter very similar to the Roboa catheter called the SAP catheter, and it's quite similar. And his expertise in cannulating pigs uh, raised the attention of Zach and I when we met him at another conference. So we decided to fly out to North Carolina, meet up with Jim, and we put pigs on ECMO. Very educational. We got to learn a lot about just the physiology, what it looks like with these pumps inside of pigs, take a closer look at how to run this pump. And so when we were doing this, we realized there are all kinds of small areas to the pump that we didn't even know about. And so Greg Griffin, one of the chief perfusionists at North Carolina, we've sat him down in the lab and we asked him a bunch of questions. Now real quick, let's take one step back, Zach. Uh, Remember, if you heard our earlier podcast episodes, we perform our eCPR procedure as a three-stage process. And if you remember, stage one is placement of any commercially available uh, artery and femoral catheter that's done during the course of CPR. Stage two uh, is upsizing those catheters to ECMO cannulas, the larger ECMO cannulas. And then stage three is putting the patient on the pump. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. Putting the patient on the pump. So we're talking about the machine and things that could go wrong. Now, this topic, this podcast is conceptual. You need to sort of think about what the the whole course of the tubing looks like. And we we tried to think of some analogies that we could use so that you can think about how this looks. And the one that we came up with is a racetrack. Picture an oval-shaped Formula One racetrack where cars are going on and off of the track. So when you're priming the pump, if you can if you can think about this, the cannulas are in the patient, but that's a separate thing. And when you prime the pump, we're filling the pump with solution. And when we turn the pump on before it's attached to the patient, that pump is running with fluid flowing around your racetrack in an oval. Okay, so if the cars are now going around the track after you've primed the pump and before you've connected the patient, you then have the cars going off the track into the pit in this analogy by going through the arterial cannula and up into the patient. Then the blood is returned, or in this case, the car is returned to the track via the venous catheter, which is going to be the catheter that puts the cars or the blood uh, back onto the track so it can circulate again. So two options. You're either going into the patient or you're going back through the circuit. When we're going back through the circuit, this is where we get to prime the machine. We get to take out all the air. We get to do some things to the machine or to the fluid before we ever introduce it to the patient. And if that's the case, if you're going through the the circuit and not going into the patient, you will have a clamp on the arterial and venous catheters going to the patient if you're already connected. If you're going off the track, off the oval, and into the patient, you'll then put a clamp at the midpoint of the track, and we call that section, that piece of tubing, uh, the bridge. 
Okay, so conceptual. This is something that if you want to just stop right here and take a look at a picture, it, it may be helpful. So we talked just a second there about Erembolus, and I wanted to make a very good point, a very big point about this before we start this lecture, and that is that you know some of us have concern about Erembolism when we're putting in central lines. This is a whole different concept here. When we have an air embolism in the arterial side of an ECMO pump, it is going directly into the arterial side of the patient. So you're going straight up into the brain, you're going straight into the coronary artery, you have no lung to separate you and that air from causing a stroke. In contradiction to that, if there's a little air bubble on the venous side, now we're talking about the blood's coming out of the patient through the venous cannula, going into the pump, that pump has an oxygenator built into it, much like your lung and is sort of a filter for your brain to protect your brain against uh, air embolism or clot or whatever. That oxygenator will capture that air and then you can de-air the air out of that oxygenator so it acts as a, as a safety device. But once you've come out of the oxygenator and you're on the arterial side, all bets are off and then you've got air in the arterial system that could theoretically go right up to the brain and cause a stroke. Okay, take home. Air embolism, big deal. Bad. All right. Last thing here, we're, we mentioned cardio help in this lecture. Joe, tell us about cardio help. So cardio help is a McKay product. We don't have any financial association with McKay, but we happen to use their products. That's what's used in our facility and as well. This is the, the machine that we used in North Carolina. Cardio Help's a nice machine. You can hear more about it here during the course of this podcast episode. Um, cardio Help's nice because it's portable, it's small, uh, and it is fairly easy to use because it's sort of like a one-stop shop. Everything's in there. So throughout this interview, you're going to hear Zach talking to Greg about the Cardio Help by McKay. UNC Chapel Hill fight song, Go! ED ECMO, we are talking today with Greg Griffin, Chief Perfusionist from University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And we are, again, here at Jim Manning's lab. We just did some absolutely incredible experiments and visualized some things that I, I mean, I've never seen before. And I know this is just highly educational for us to sort of put together the nuts and bolts of ECMO, what it looks like inside of a pig, and what it, um, you know, one of the kind of some of the things that we can look for in the human as well. So, Greg, um, what we want to do today, we want to call this prime time. This is talking about the pump, taking it everything from priming it to operating it to troubleshooting it. And so, Greg, tell us about yourself. Um, as you mentioned, I'm a chief perfusionist here at UNC Hospitals. I've uh, been here for 17 and a half years and all components of everything we do here at UNC, both from neonatal, pediatric, perfusion, adult perfusion, some ECMO, ventricular assist devices. So we cover the whole gamut here of everything involving with perfusion. So cardio help is new to us and something you've been, we were working with in the past few days here in Dr. Manning's lab. And uh, I think it's a very unique operation, a very unique device that allows, and we're talking about ECMO, that has uh, some great advantages to it and what we can do with it. 
So um, you, we, we've kind of focused a lot of the website on, you know, from the doctor's standpoint, how, you know, you put the cannulas in, the physiology of it, who we're doing this on. We're taking a, a, the opposite look now. We're looking at it from the perfusionist side, from the pump side, from how do we get this patient, um, not get the cannulas in, but how do we get that pump ready for when the doctors who have it in can put them together and make this work. So let's talk about first priming the pump. What does that mean? Priming the pump is just a, a term to use to fill the tubing and all the spaces and de-air it so it's free of air, free of bubbles, and enables us to go on uh, bypass or ECMO safely. So getting the bubbles out, why is that important? Well, we want no air in the circuit. We want it to be embolous or air embolus free. and. Uh, so we don't want anything going into the circuit foreign. So we try to uh, keep the circuit as clean as possible by de-airing it and using whatever, whether in other additives you want to include medications and that, but basically just keeping it free of air. So the machine, is it able to help us out with removing that air or what, what, how do we get rid of all the air? The, the, the pump itself and any uh, has an oxygenator in it and any oxygenator will um, help with removing air. The unique thing about this device that we have just been using for the past few days is when you're priming it up, um, you would do it via gravity and let the air, let it run on its own before you actually turn anything on and let it de-air itself that way and vent out the air. Okay, so we've got a, uh, the pump, we've got some tubing. The tubing when we start is empty of fluid and now we're going to get fluid into it via gravity. Can you explain sort of that setup? What does it look like? Well, we would have a, at least a, a large bag of, that we would put our, flu, our priming fluid in it, whether it be a electrolyte balance solution, LR, uh, Normasol, plasma light, something of that nature, whatever the choice is. Fill this large bag, a two liter bag of so with this fluid. And then once that bag is full, then we can connect our tubing to the priming bag and circulate the tubing and from the venous side in one direction through what we what's going to be the arterial side. Okay, so we, we allow gravity to fill up as much of the tubing as possible mm -hmm. with fluid. Mm -hmm. Now we still have some small amount of air left in the circuit, and so before we want to put the patient actually on pump, we want to get that last air out, and you're saying that each circuit is a, is, has the ability to get that extra air out. Right. So both by gravity, by having that bag at a higher level than our circuit, creates a, a gravity, has a discrepancy of the height will give us some pressure. And then the venting, the ports on the circuit that are, you can vent, open them up the air that way. And also this, the oxygenator that we have been using on this circuit has the ability to, the pressure from the circuit will cause it to vent as well before coming out the what's going to be the arterial line or the return line from the auctioneer back to the patient. Okay, so now we're at the point where we've got a circuit that's completely de-aired, we've got a circuit that's full of fluid, and we've got cannulas that are ready to, to go on. They're already in the patient. So now take us from the pump being off to us getting them actually on the machine. Well, some of the things I would be, I'd, I'd make sure we have available, uh, ready to go before we initiate ECMO is do we have oxygen to our oxygenator? We have full flow oxygen available for gas flow. Um, are we concerned about temperature? Do we want to go on with a warm prime? Or we're not really concerned about this point. If we do, we want to have warm water going through this circuit so it goes on at a decent temperature. But if we're concerned about going on and having these patients fibrillate because of the prime being so cold, 
other parameters with this circuit in general is um, there's monitoring devices on the circuit. So we want to make sure our pressures are zeroed and we're going to have monitoring devices. That includes everything from pre and post pressures to even air bubble detection. So we make sure that we go on and if we have an issue that it, alarm, it alerts us, then we're not going on without these devices. So there's nothing that would scare me more than that alarm just going off and me not knowing what's going on. So you're saying some of the things that you can alarm from would be? It could be um, anything from a high pressure alarm, so resistance distal to our circuit, whether it be the patient or the cannula. Um, could be air issue, so we actually have passed, we thought we'd de-aired the circuit completely, but we've passed air somehow, some way. And before we send that to the patient, we want to make sure we evacuate that air. And so all those things are, are a concern that we want to address. Well, if we start getting an alarm on the venous side, and we see that number right, 350, I believe you told us, was a, a number well, that we're looking I for. I think you're talking about the arterial side. Arterial side, sorry. So yeah. we're talking about resistance after the, the resistance the pump has to flow against. Okay. So, so take the arterial side. That is, that is a concern. So uh, we were getting over line pressure or resistance over 350, it's a concern. Do we want to continue or what is causing that resistance because our cannulas we're using to reinfuse are so small? Is it a distal uh, occlusion somewhere? Uh, something's kinked, something's clamped. These are all the things we need to investigate to say, is it, or is the physiology something the way the patient's been cannulated or what is where we've cannulated it? It causes a, a, a resistance. And it may be something that's for that situation is normal or maybe something needs to be addressed. Okay, so one of the things that we sort of take, when is a take home point from having these pre arterial pressures too high, whatever it is, whether it's the pump, whether it's the patient, whether it's a kink, the problem is that we get hemolysis, right, of the blood when we get these PA pressures too high. Sure, so hemolysis can occur with either your too great of negative pressure or too great of a positive pressure. Um, the pump will measure both, uh, what we call a, a, a venous line pressure as well as a inflow pressure resistance. Uh, red blood cells don't do well with high negative pressure, so we want to make sure we, those don't get too, too, too high as well. But all those things you mentioned are, are a concern. Okay, so now let's talk about venous pressure. So when venous pressure gets too high, a high negative number, then we're talking about what's physiologically going on in the body. Well, it could be several things. It could be the patient's hypovolemic, and we're trying to pull volume that isn't there. Or it could be just a matter of the cannula we're using. Maybe we're trying to pull higher flows from a very small cannula, and we just can't obtain those kind of flows through a very small uh, cannula. So we're going to show you on the website some of what this looks like inside of the body, and this idea of chatter. Explain to us chatter. Chatter is a, um, something that we see on the venous line it's typically due to hypovolemia in a low volume state where um, you're trying to achieve a certain flow and with those flows um, you're exceeding what your, what your return is, your preload. And so then you end up seeing it shown, displayed in the venous line by it smacking back and forth. It'll, it'll, it could be periodic just every so often and the greater the hypovolemia, the more often you'll see that chatter. So we've got video of this. We are showing you what it looks like in the IVC in the right atrium when chatter occurs. It's, it's unbelievable the amount of trauma that can be elicited by just a little bit too high of pressure, a little bit too low of volume. All right, Greg, so 
last things here. Now, this McKay pump, there are advantages to the cardio help and there are some disadvantages. What would you say are some of the big advantages to cardio help over a traditional system? I think that the biggest advantage of it is the way the system's designed and the features that it has, both on a monitoring features and its portability. Um, without the disposables in it, I believe it's 22 pounds, so it's something you can transport very easily. I think it has a lot of benefit to it. And I think up until now, there hasn't been a real great system that's an all-inclusive that has all these features and is also very portable. Um, so that, to me, that, that's probably the, the biggest advantage, the biggest, uh, the nicest feature of it. Now, just as a reiteration, Joe, myself, Scott, none of us have any disclosures with McKay or CardioHelp. Uh, we're just trying to, trying to explain some things of how we see it. So portability would be a benefit with the CardioHelp. Maybe what's, what's a disadvantage to the CardioHelp? The disadvantage that I can see just from my own experience is um, the way the disposables are set up they are a one uh, all-complete unit and what I have found in, in time is when we're talking ECMO sometimes these components especially long-term ECMO need to be replaced and if you have individual components those individual components can be replaced individually obviously when you have a unit like this the whole system has to be replaced because it's one complete unit and I I think to me that's probably the biggest disadvantage okay. and the, the, I'm sorry to interrupt you no. the other thing was on the membrane, there's a pre and post side of the membrane. It's always ideal to be able to visualize that membrane and see it. And if you have clot formation or something, you can't always visualize the pre-membrane side. You can the post, but just the, just the way the design is of the unit, that's, that's the biggest disadvantage I see in it. So putting it together, we've got a system that's portable. It has some safety features that might be good for some of us that don't know as much about the full system disadvantages are that you cannot put it into components so that's a problem not only from a cost standpoint I mean these these circuits are expensive you, replacing a whole circuit is you know much more than our traditional system but secondarily as far as patient safety for patients that are on ECMO for longer than uh, a couple days we now have problems with with if one component fails now we've got an inability to, to just change that out easily um, you, you have the ability to change it out. That's not, that, I don't see that as a hindering factor. You can still change it out. However, when you're used to changing individual components, it's just a different mindset, in my opinion. And to your point, these, these, uh, this technology is expensive, so that could be one disadvantage to it. Okay, Greg, I wanted to ask you also just about the differences between a, the Rotoflow, which is a certain type of pump, and the traditional um, pumps where we're using rollers. What, what are the differences there? Well, the, it's, the differences mostly are a centrifugal, um, if you'll talk to most people, they'll, they'll um, explain the safety of the devices because they won't, they're not going to blow up, they're not going to blow up the tubing, they're much a safer pump. However, the main differences in physiologic is uh, roller pumps, I, or I'm sorry, the, ro the centrifugal pumps like the Rotoflow are preload and afterload dependent. So as long as you have the preload for the pump to pull and you have the afterload, the RPMs stay the same. The flows vary based on those two parameters. If you have the volume to pull from, it's going to flow. However, your flows will differ depending on the afterload. If the resistance gets higher, your RPMs remain the same, but your flow drops accordingly. And same way, if your RPMs stay the same and your resistance decreases, and then you're, you see your flows go up slightly. Um, so that's one of the nice uh, features of a centrifugal pump like the Rotoflow. 
A roller pump is going to pump and it's going to pull no matter what. So if you have it set, it's going to try to maintain whatever flow you set it at, regardless of what the, the resistance is it or what it's pulling from. So therefore, the parameters have to be set in such a way that when it gets too negative or you're trying to pull from, it needs to be addressed. It'll either servo-regulate the pump, either slowing it down or stopping it, and same way with the distal, with the resistance. Either servo-regulate the pump or it slows it down, or it stops the pump until that resistance is decreased or drops. Now, which one are you using more commonly now? Um, depending on what we're talking about, if we're talking about in the operating room, we're strippy roller pumps. And um, I find it to be a very safe pump if it's used with all the correct parameters and the monitoring. Um, however, when you're talking about probably most ECMO programs across the country have now gone from rollers to adults, I'm sorry, from rollers to centrifugal, especially in adults. And a lot of your VADs are now centrifugal pumps or some, some form of a centrifugal pump. They all have their own proprietary design, but they're all doing have the same features. All right, so cool. So um, in the OR, more use of roller pumps. In the traditional ECMO setting, eCPR, we're going to be using almost exclusively centrifugal pumps. The advantages being that we're not going to blow out an artery or a vein with just putting a roller pressure on it, or roller pump on it, which increases the pressure. But the disadvantages being that... I think the biggest disadvantage is probably, uh, I'm not sure in terms of cost may be an issue. You're talking about replacing a whole centrifugal pump versus a piece of tubing. Um, and I think the centrifugal pump doesn't have a lot of disadvantages in my opinion. I think it has a lot of advantages both from a safety standpoint, from an ease of use, and just from the, the way it, it acts on the blood in terms of, in terms of reason of that versus a roller pump. All right, let's the take home points today, folks, are A, um, priming the pump involves using gravity to fill up the machine, take out the, the bubbles, fill it with a, a column of fluid. Secondarily, operating the machine, there's a few values you want to know. One is the venous pressure, one is the arterial pressure. Both of those can be involved in hemolysis. We can look for problems with the pump or the patient as particularly or relating to these. And then finally, we talked about the advantages, disadvantages of cardio help, and we, we kind of just went over that briefly. Greg, great having you. It was a wonderful time here in North Carolina, and uh, that's about it. Great. Thanks for being guys. I appreciate sure. it. Signing off from ED ECMO, Zach Shiner, Greg Griffin.